After a short pause last week in the book of Isaiah, we're back on track with John, and so I'm not great at math or calculations. Ashton could probably tell us in more detail, but I think sometime by 2025, we're going to get through the book of John. (laughs) I don't know how long it's going to take us. We want to faithfully go through the books of the Bible as God leads me to preach and learn whatever we can, whatever He has for us. And this is no different this morning. So we're going to be, uh, Lord willing, working through 19 through 29. It's a way of reminder, since we had Isaiah last week, you may have forgotten. Um, We just had the healing at the pool on the Sabbath. This guy who for 38 years, I believe it was, he was there and he's been trying to be healed, trying to go down into this pool. And everyone keeps jumping in front of him. And Jesus comes to him and takes his focus off of the pool, gets the guy's focus on Jesus, and Jesus heals him. And as it turned out, the rest of that story, this happened to be on the Sabbath. And of course, that caught the attention of the authorities, the Sadducees, the Pharisees in particular, and they were coming and all upset that somebody was doing work on the Sabbath because they don't understand what the Sabbath is about and they don't understand who Jesus is. And so it ended with verse 18, which I want to read for you before we jump in. Verse 18 said, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, being Jesus, because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. Realize quickly that Jesus clearly says that He is God. And the reason I say that is because there are many people out there who will tell you that Jesus never claims to be God. The Bible doesn't teach that. We clearly see here that that's what's happening. And that's why they're trying to kill Him. So now, what we're going to study today is how Jesus goes into more detail to explain that He's God. And so this passage, I say this mostly every week, but this is a tough passage. There's some things in here that are challenging. Um... But I think that the Lord has a few things He wants to share with us today. So let's begin in verse 19, John chapter 5. So Jesus said to them, again, these rulers, these who are trying to now would like to kill Him. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does Likewise, I'm going to continue a little bit here. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. What Jesus is explaining first is He's saying, listen, I just told you that my Father and I were were one, and we are so one that the Son doesn't do anything that the Father doesn't do, that He's doing. He's not going to do anything different than what the Father is doing. He's only going to do what the Father does. And what He's doing there is He's actually explaining, showing how tied together He is with the Father. How they are one. He's, he's claiming divinity here. When He says, the Son, He starts to use this language. And if you'll remember from the reading this morning out of Daniel chapter 7, it was talking about the Son of Man. And it was talking about the Son of Man and how He came to the Ancient of Days. And as He came, all things were given to Him. That's a prophecy concerning Jesus. And what Jesus is wanting us to do is when this phrasing, the Son in particular, 
when this is being used, he wants us to have that in mind, I believe. He wants us to remember this idea because what we're going to see in this passage is all these things that the Father has given to the Son to do. But he says, he can do nothing of his own accord. Another word we could possibly say is he does nothing out of his own agenda. Whatever the Father's doing, that's what the Son is doing. I kind of think of it a little bit. There's some times around our house that Caleb in particular, but also Liam both, they will do things from time to time. What's interesting about this is it's normally not a good thing, now that I think about it. Huh. That's interesting. So anyway, they do things around the house, and Heather will comment, you are your what? Father, son. What does that mean? Right? Yes, you do. She said, yes. Yes, you do. Or maybe, that could be one side of the story, or possibly my daughters do things from time to time. And I might say, good things. They do good things. Great things. And I look to them and I say, you are your mother's daughter. (laughs) They're like, I'm not sure about this. What does that phrasing mean, though? I mean, doesn't it mean that you are just like your father or mother? That's what I like to think that Jesus is ultimately saying. He is his father's son. He is just like the father. And he doesn't have any other agenda out there. There's no division. There's perfect unity in our God. Perfect unity with the father, the son, and the spirit. They're not divided. Not wondering, well, should we do this or not? It's perfect unity, perfect harmony. But what's interesting is the reason I read into verse 20 a little bit. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. What that's saying is a way, part of the way that we see that the Father loves the Son is that He reveals everything that He's doing. He's not hiding anything from the Son. There's perfect trust, perfect harmony, perfect unity. What's interesting about this is that the Son shows His love for the Father by perfectly obeying everything that the Father has sent him to do. Remember the Father, he's decreed how salvation is going to happen. He puts the plan in motion. Jesus comes to execute. And the Holy Spirit works to bring it all together. That plan, the Father reveals perfectly because of his love for the Son. And the Son obeys perfectly because of his love for the Father. There's this wonderful unity that exists. Also why the followers of Christ, the church, is also to be loving and unified because we reflect God. That's why Jesus, if you remember in John 17 in the high priestly prayer, which we've covered some, he could could have prayed for anything. He could have prayed that certain rulers would win elections or certain things would happen. But ultimately what he prays is that there would be love and unity among believers. And, you, and if you read that passage carefully, he actually says, I'm not praying for the whole world on this one. He actually says, I'm praying for those who are going to trust in my name. I'm praying for believers that they would be unified. And what's interesting is that's one of the hardest things for us to do from time to time. You see churches split all the time. You see people leave churches Now again, sometimes that's just their own heart issues, but we see this all the time, and a lot of this is just disunity and a lack of love. 
And so, again, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, there's perfect love, there's perfect unity, and that's our example, and we're to strive, because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, to do the same. Are we going to do it perfectly all the time? No. But we want to continue to strive for it. So the Father shows His love to the Son by showing the Son all that He's doing. The Son is showing His love to the Father because He's obeying in everything. Now look at this, continuing on in 20. And greater works than these will He show Him so that you may marvel. What's He talking about here? Well, the works that God's already been doing that Jesus has been a part of, we just had the healing just before this at the pool on the Sabbath. Before that, Jesus heals the official Son. Again, God, the Father working, Jesus executes. We saw Jesus with the woman in Samaria, Nicodemus, all these different things. He's already doing those things. But now, what Jesus is explaining here is, there's going to be greater works than even that. Than those works. There's going to be greater things that are coming. But I love the end of this verse. What's the whole point of these greater works that are going to come? So that you may marvel. The point is, when God saves us, when He does these great works that we're about to get into, when He does those works, it's so that we will see Christ and marvel at how wonderful He is because ultimately, when we see Christ, we see God. So the whole point is for us to marvel over how wonderful He is. And that's why these works are coming. That's what He's explaining. So what works is He talking about? Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Okay, so the Father's been doing this. If you think Old Testament, maybe the the dry bones where He gives life to the dry bones, actually raises the dead and gives life. The Son also gives life. Raises the dead. Now you can think, okay, now what's, what's He... What's he talking about here exactly? Is this bringing dead people to life? Can you think anywhere in the New Testament, later in the book of John, where Jesus' friend is dead? Lazarus, and what's he do? He actually gives him life. He just speaks it. His Word brings life. We found out earlier in John that his, through His Word, everything's been created. So it shouldn't shock us that it can, He can raise the dead with His Word, but He does. So it's... It means that, but it also means spiritual life. It also means spiritual life. The Son gives life to whom He will. Verse 22, The Father judges no one. What an interesting statement. The Father judges no one. But has given all judgment to the Son. That's actually, if you go back and read that Daniel 7, you're going to see that where he comes up, the Son of Man comes, and he gives this judgment to the Son. Sometimes I'll hear people say, Man, y'all need to mind your own business. Only God can judge me. You ever heard that? Only God can judge me. That should scare you. That should terrify you. That's not something to get excited about in that sense. Like, oh man, I don't care what you think, only God's going to judge me. Yeah, His standard, a little different than mine. Perfection. That's His standard. Incredible. And that judgment has been given to Jesus. Which, isn't it scary then that the people who are out there, and possibly some of you here, 
you don't even have faith or trust in the one who is going to judge you. The people out in the world who do not know Christ yet, that's who their judge is, and they don't even know him. Yes, he is the Savior, but not for them yet. Not if they don't believe. And they're heading to stand before the judge who they don't even know. That's terrifying. I pray if that's you today that you will change that with faith in Christ. Verse 22, or no, sorry, 23. So all judgments given to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Again, he's claiming his divinity right there. You cannot say, oh, give honor to God, the Father, and that same honor needs to go to the Son and say that they're not the same. You can't do that. God doesn't share His glory with anybody. He doesn't do that. Oh, unless it's God the Son or God the Spirit. Then, God is receiving the glory He deserves. There are people who dishonor Jesus all the time. Taking His name in vain. When you dishonor the Son, you dishonor God. And a reminder, that's the judge. Every time people take His name, every time we do that, you are literally going to be standing before Him and have to give an account for why you were doing that. And dishonoring Him. And the sad part is many out there don't realize how severe this is. We have to get out there and tell them. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Some of you in here may think that there are multiple ways to get to heaven. I saw a statistic the other day. I shared this with some of you. I have no idea if it's exactly accurate, but it said about 51% of Christians think that there are more than one, there's more than one way to get to heaven. Other religions are just another way of getting to heaven. It's just kind of, oh, well, for them, that's kind of their Jesus, and that's how they get there. God has divide, d- devised this plan where all roads lead to Rome. That's not Scripture. And so when they reject Jesus, they're rejecting God. So every religion, every ideology, every methodology, everything that denies Jesus that He is God, they're lost. They're lost because they're not honoring the Son as they're supposed to. They're denying, they're rejecting the Son, and that means they are rejecting God. I want to share this with you out of uh, John chapter 8. Jesus is talking to some of these same people, and he actually is talking and he calls their father the devil. Jesus is very loving, but he also would bring it sometimes. Let me read, I'm going to read uh, John eight forty three and down. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He's talking to the religious teachers and things. Wow. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me, Jesus says. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Good question. Here's the answer. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. What Jesus is clearly stating here is right now, those who dishonor the Son, those who reject the Son, they're ultimately rejecting God because the Father and the Son are one. The reason that they're rejecting is they're not of God. How do people become of God? Scripture tells us that faith comes by what? Hearing. hearing. And hearing what in particular? The, the Word of Christ, right? That's how they're going to not have to stand under this condemnation that they're under. They're focused on the Word. We tend to focus on that a lot here. The Word, the Word, the Word, because that's what Scripture says. Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Eternal life. I've asked this question many of times. I asked it the other day at the children's school when I was preaching up there as well. What is eternal life? What is eternal life? Is it being in heaven? Walking on the streets of gold, looking at the pearly gates, being with everyone that you've ever loved? No more sin even no more pain no more sickness no more death there's more to eternal life than that listen to what jesus says in that high priestly prayer in john 17 and this is eternal life what is it i wonder that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Other pastors have talked about this as, as well. If all that other stuff is there and Jesus is not there, and you still want to go, then I don't think you know Jesus. I love you, but if, that's, if those things, streets of gold, even no pain, even perfect healing, no more death, want to be with all my friends and family, if that is above Jesus, then you don't know Him yet. There's no way. He's wonderful. He's the one who gives you life. He's got to be above all that. So in 24 where He's saying, whoever hears My Word and believes, He who sent Me, Him who sent Me, you have eternal life. It's not something that's going to come. You see that? There's a distinction there. If you trust in Jesus, if you obey, if you follow His Word, if you hear His Word, which again, we know that ultimately to hear His Word means that you truly obey His Word. Not convinced? Let's go to Luke 6. Saw some looks back there. I, don't, I didn't like it. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? I'm in Luke 6 here. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I tell you? How? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose 
and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. There actually is. The obedience doesn't save you, but it shows that you're saved. When you hear the words of Jesus, do you obey them? What Jesus is saying here, if you do that, listen, this is an encouragement. It should be if you're a believer. Listen. Whoever hears my word and does them, because if you hear his word and do those, that means you're going to believe. That means you're going to believe in the one who sent him. Verse 24. If you believe those things, you have eternal life right now. You have it. You have a relationship with God and the Son forever, and that's going to last forever. You can actually say, I'm saved. I have eternal life. It's going to be fully realized and to come where we're going to get to actually be with Him face to face, but now you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You have eternal life. So here, be, be thankful, rejoice, be excited, because watch, those who have eternal life, those things, you do not come into judgment. There's no judgment on you. You're righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. You do not come into judgment, but you have passed from death to life. Even if you die in this life, you have passed truly, spiritually speaking, from death to life. So that then plays up with what, above, what we're talking about above. These greater works that He's going to show you so that you'll marvel in Him as He makes dead people live. Not just those who will be resurrected, but spiritually dead people, he makes us live. So we marvel at him. And when we marvel at him, we're marveling at God. Verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That's what he's saying right there. Did you catch it? The hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That is, yes, you can talk about some things with Lazarus, but this is spiritually speaking. There are people who are dead, possibly some here, and if you're hearing the word of Christ today, you can be alive. You can be alive, out from judgment. And there are people all around And we see this every day. There are people coming to Christ. They are actually hearing the words of Christ and believing, and they're being made alive. So marvel at Him. Marvel that you're one of those, if you are. Verse 26, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. The Father, we already saw back, if you remember in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Talking of Jesus, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and with Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So it seems here that in eternity, as they were discussing these things, Yes, the Father has life and He's given certain things for the Son to do as well. And the Son also has the ability to give life to whoever He wants. He has life in Himself. He's not contingent on anything else. He doesn't need anyone else to live. But He also has life and can give it to all 
who cry out to him. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. You see the son of man there again? Daniel 7, be thinking about that. Only God can execute judgment like this, and that's why it's given to Jesus. Now, he continues and says, 28, do not marvel at this. <laughs> Don't just marvel at what's happening here, although that's pretty incredible. He continues on. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Now we're talking about the resurrection. It's not just for this time that Jesus is living. Now we're talking about the resurrection. Everyone's going to be raised up before him. And they're going to come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now realize with that, that's not saying those people who have done more good works are going to have judgment of life. What this is saying is those who now live, those who have been forgiven, those who have the Holy Spirit are now able to do good works. We're able to do these good works because we've been made new. So the two judgments that we're going to see, ultimately, we've already read in John that if you're not in Christ, you're already under condemnation. Do you remember? We had some of the youth over here and they were in bondage over here. Already, they're already under condemnation unless they put their faith in Christ. These judgments that are going to happen at the end, the resurrection happens, okay, we're going to start to separate. Sheep, goats, right? True believers, sorry, I'm real believers, <laughs> not real believers. This separation happens, and then those who are not believers will have to stand before that judge that they have not honored. And they're going to say, I have no good works. All my works are filthy rags. I have nothing. I have no righteousness. I didn't trust in you. And they'll be judged and sent for eternity. And there does seem to be varying layers, if you will, levels, some would say, in hell based upon those negative works. It's all suffering. It's all terrible. And then, for those of us who are in Christ, we also still come under Christ. And he says, let's see what you did with the life that I've given you. You were saved on this date. And moving forward from that point, how did you serve me? What good works did you do, not so you can earn salvation? That's already taken care of. That's the gift. But the rewards that seem to come in heaven. And again, not just to get an award, but to glorify our Father, glorify the Son. What are these things that you've done with your life? And that's how it plays out for all eternity. We then, as believers, rest and rejoice in Him forever. Yes, hopefully there with one another. And we praise him forever. And those who do not forever. I'm not certain that they're going to be, you know, where they just don't know what's happening. I think what's even worse would be the fact that they might be in hell eternally suffering and see what they could have had. I don't know. But what's also interesting is even though they could have had it, there still seems to be something about them that's going to even hate God for that. 
because they don't know these beautiful truths. We have to get out there and share them. And I pray that if you're here today and you don't, you don't know this, that you'll come and talk with me. Or right now, as we're going to have our invitation in just a second, you'll give your heart to Christ. That's all we're going to work through for today. So the big ideas, there's a lot of neat stuff in this passage, a lot of good stuff. Here's the, the two things. If you are a non-believer, here's my encouragement for you today. Hear the Word and live. Hear the Word. Hear the words of Christ and live today. When we have the invitation time, pray there. Come up here. Pray and receive Christ. If you're already a believer... My encouragement for you today is realize that you are not under judgment. That you have passed from death to life. And my encouragement is for you to marvel at Jesus who's died for you and has done this for you. And as you marvel at Him, you marvel at God. Two simple things. You're on one or the other. You either come to salvation today or you marvel more about how great God is. Pretty simple. Let's pray. Father, you are you are wonderful. Jesus, you are mighty to save. You've taken us from death to life. And we have this new life now. Lord, help us to live it by the power of your Spirit. Help us to love in such a way that the world goes, that doesn't make any sense. That looks interesting. How in the world do they love like that? They disagree. They disagree about politics. They disagree about environment. They disagree about coffee flavors. Lord, they... We disagree about so many things, but Lord, what's so incredible is by your Spirit, we're able to love and be unified in such a way that if, it's, if we're doing it rightly, the world actually sees it and says, oh, look at that love. They're followers of Jesus. God, we want this. I'm thankful for my friends that are here. Lord, I pray for anyone in here that's never really treasured Christ. Not truly not above everything. I pray that today is the day of salvation for them. Father, for the rest who have already trusted in Your grace, I pray that we would marvel at You in a way that we never have before. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.